0: one thing but morality says another which do you follow do you become a dangerous extremist even a terrorist do you follow what the law says if you don't believe it it's a question that concerns us today and concerned people in the 1850s who worked on the underground railroad we'll return to that subject when we come back on civil war talk radio
1: programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com art deprivation hotline
2: please my daughter I
1: think she might hurt herself her arms and legs are moving in all different directions ma'am is that music I hear
2: yeah I put on the radio and then she just lost control ma'am
1: she might be trying to dance what? dancing ma'am
2: no 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 I've seen dancing and that's not
1: it the less art kids get the more it shows please visit us at americansforthearts.org art ask for more A public service message brought to you by
0: Americans for the Arts and the Ad Council. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk.
1: To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068.
0: Author of Bound for Canaan, Underground Railroad, and the War for the Soul of America. In our last segment, we were discussing the impact of the Underground Railroad and, uh, to some extent, its role in leading up to the Civil War. The Underground Railroad facilitated the escape, uh, according to uh, you know, Fergus, according to your estimate, of maybe 100,000 slaves. Over the course of the, the six decades before the Civil War, which is, uh, in one sense, really a drop in the bucket, and yet it had those drops rippled out. They had an impact, you suggested, among people in the North who encountered uh, former slaves, who, who saw the humanity of the slave. I, I would suggest that confirms research uh, I've done on soldiers during the war, Union soldiers who. Often were not the least bit interested in liberating slaves until they went south and encountered them for the first time, and experienced the same kind of radicalization that that you mentioned, where they they now realize what slavery is in in the flesh and they become opposed to it. But there are other uh, issues involved here. There's the Fugitive Slave Act. uh, At the time, is the primary federal legislation that affects. Uh, the activities of the Underground Railroad, and makes pretty much everything they're doing a federal crime. That obviously um, must have caused great conflict for those uh, involved in that activity.
2: Uh, Yes, though uh, we have to remember that, in fact, there was a fugitive slave law on the books from 1793 that had made the same same activity a federal crime all along. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, what the 1850 Fugitive Slave Law did was essentially tighten the screws um, and uh, enlarge the fines and ex- explicitly require that all citizens, uh, ordinary folks, you and I, uh, that we all uh, were liable to be drafted uh, at the request of a policeman, a constable, a magistrate, Uh, to help capture fugitive slaves if requested. And, uh, as, as more than one northern newspaper, uh, trumpeted it in, in their, in its headlines, we are all slave catchers now. And what that 1850 law was, bring home to a, a northern population that is already, it is already being slowly abolitionized, becoming acclimated, to the idea that slavery is a national wrong, not just a problem of the South, uh, to a, uh, the, the, the 1850 law is bringing home to everyone in the North uh, that uh, they are collaborators. They, the government is insisting that they be collaborators in slavery and slave catching. So what the law does is radicalize uh, people who frankly, are in today's terms often very racist. They don't like black people. They don't feel an affinity with black people. Uh, they they don't care all that much about slavery as long as it's in the South, uh, but they they feel and they recognize that their their constitutional rights, their, their freedom of assembly to a degree, their freedom of speech, are, are about to be trampled in order to protect slavery. That's, uh, that's a and, very important point
0: because you get this... Um, a very simplified version, uh, certainly that one might have learned growing up in in northern states, is that the North were the good guys against slavery, the South were the bad guys in favor of slavery. And, of course, the picture is much more complex. Uh, As you point out, many Northerners became opposed to slavery not out of any sympathy for the slaves at all, uh, and indeed often an act of dislike and and, uh, strong racial prejudice against Africans, but out of a sense that the South was bullying the North, uh, was was requiring them, as as the Fugitive Slave Act did, to participate in slave catching, restricting their freedom of speech, as the gag rule did in Congress in the 1830s, where petitions against slavery would no longer be accepted by the House of Representatives. And I I think one of the hard things I find explaining to my students uh, is how one can be uh, very anti-slavery in the 1850s uh, without being the least bit sympathetic to the slaves themselves.
2: Yes, indeed, and it should also be remembered that uh, many of the most radical and the most aggressive and the most uh, uh, selfless and self-sacrificing abolitionists within the Underground Railroad were themselves Southerners—people born whites and blacks, but if I'm speaking here primarily of mm-hmm. whites, born and raised in the South, likely by coffin and North Carolina Quakers, who relocated to the North because they couldn't bear living in the atmosphere of slavery. Uh, but especially in the border country, many of the, the cutting-edge underground railroad folks were, in fact, Southerners. Uh, and one thing that, uh, that also uh, I found really quite fascinating in in researching and writing my book, Bound for Canaan, was... Discovering those individuals who, and they are fairly few in number, active in anti-slavery work, who are modern in the sense that they've transcended the racial bigotries and the racial uh, racialist thinking of their time, and are genuinely comfortable with Black Americans. And uh, uh, that doesn't include the coffins, who though they were very very self-sacrificing, really shared a, a kind of racial condescension toward blacks uh, but often where you find real working class, what we call today blue collar types sometimes sailors, white sailors or white working men who really who really know what it's like being on the bottom of the heap even in, 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 in the white north, often are able to bridge that racial chasm in a way that the more middle class types who made up the majority of the Underground Railroad couldn't. Let me ask this question, which I think might
0: be the most difficult one that, that your book raises. It, reading the book, it's impossible not to admire the the uh, incredible initiative and bravery that the, uh, the, the slaves show as they attempt to escape. And there is no moral ambiguity about what they are doing. They have had their freedom taken from them uh, without their permission, and it's impossible to find any reason to argue that they should uh, have done anything differently. The white abolitionists who aid them, on the other hand, are in a somewhat more ambiguous position because they are making a conscious decision to to violate the Fugitive Slave Act, which we can recognize in retrospect was, was not a good law, of course, but if the principle is taken to its logical extreme, it says that we are each our own individual legislators and we will disobey those laws that we find morally unacceptable. Um, does this not put us on a slippery slope toward anarchy? Uh,
2: it's a very, very troubling problem, and uh, I, I kind of kind of address that toward the end of the book. Uh, and I think it's not easily a question that's not easily resolved. Throughout the radical wing of the abolitionist movement, uh, activists appeal to a higher law, higher than than human law. Basically, they're appealing to to uh, um, what they would call sacred law, God's will, in other words. And bearing in mind that the the activists are. Either Quaker or their Evangelical uh, Methodists, Presbyterians, and members of a few other uh, uh, Protestant sects, uh, Congregationalists in New England, as well, and uh, you know, they, as you say, they reject they reject man's law for God's law, um, and you know we can think of plenty of um, folks in our present day world who. Take the same position, and we might not agree with them. They may think they're well. I I mean,
0: we—you can look at there are mainstream figures, uh, you know, William Seward, for example, who invokes a higher law uh, in opposing the Compromise of 1850 and the the Fugitive Slave Act. And today, we look back and say uh, that that was uh, perhaps the right thing to do. But as you say, once you start saying there is a higher law than man's law. there are people uh, in the evangelical movement today who would say that, and many Americans would disagree with them. And uh, although this takes every conversation down a rhetorical uh, rat hole, uh, the the terrorists of September 11th uh, believe in a, a higher law than any man's law that justifies the most outrageous acts. Uh,
2: yes, uh, you know, I think, I think we've got here what's essentially an unanswerable question that reflects a kind of visceral human dilemma, certainly a dilemma in our democratic society, where democratic governments, as they did in the antebellum period, may enact terrible laws. Although we have to bear in mind also that because of the three-fifths rule, which gave slave-owning states a a huge uh, additional number of of, uh, legislators uh, who technically represented slaves who couldn't actually vote, uh, how democratic the antebellum Congress was is is another question it's maybe beyond our, our purview here today but nonetheless uh, Congress passed bad laws democratically uh, that, that were supported by or tacitly tolerated by a, a apparently a majority of Americans and a minority rejected them um, and he, he, did, did he, You know, were they right? Were they wrong? Uh, I have nothing but admiration for the activists of the Underground Railroad. Uh, I think they did the right thing. I think the moral problem that they posed by breaking uh, uh, federal law is a disturbing one because I don't, uh, uh, it does put us in theory on a slippery slope. On the other hand, uh, we might have had slavery in this country a great deal longer. Our entire history might be different if, if uh, the, the, the radicals of the Underground Railroad had not fought and won a war for the soul of Americans.
0: Well, it, it is a—it's uh, it, one of many reasons why I would urge all our listeners to get hold of your book, Bound for Canaan the Underground Railroad and the War for the Soul of America.
2: Jerry, uh, would I be out of order to mention my website?
0: People could read a bit. Not of at order. all. Please, please do it. I hear the music, so this is just the right time to do that.
2: Yes, the website is www.fergusborderwick.com, and I will spell my name because it's uh, tricky. It's That's F as in first, E-R-G-U-S, Fergus Borderwick, B as in boy, O-R, D as in David, E-W-I-C-H.com. And as they say, people, listeners can read part of the book there. And, and I'd urge you to do that. We'll put up,
0: uh, if I can figure out how to do it again, I'll put a link to that on the Civil War Talk Radio website, and listeners can get to it from there as well. Uh, it is a fascinating subject. I, As you pointed out, this is the only book dedicated to the study of the subject in the last century, an amazing uh, uh, gap in historiography. Uh, neatly filled by this book I, I definitely urge all our listeners to take a look at it and learn something I learned a great deal from it and uh, thought a lot about it afterward too uh, Fergus thanks for being on the show today well thank you so much it's been a pleasure and listeners thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio